Welcome to Off Screen. I'm Van Connor. Let's get cinematic. And I'm Bex Perfect. And Off Screen is your seven day guide to everything movies. Boom. Boom indeed, Miss Perfect. But of course, you know, we're booming from our sofas, as always. Uh, unless we have uh, sick children to take to uh, remote castles. We're stuck on the couch watching telly. So, of course, the best thing to put on our telly would be a grand old feature film. So, what have you been watching? Anything good? Um, I've actually, well, it's not necessarily uh, a film, but I've started watching the TV series version of Snowpiercer, which I know you I've are. Never a heard of fan. It. Uh, I've never well, heard of Snowpiercer. Yeah, actually, What's it about? Oh, funny. It's about a train. It's a bit like Thomas the Tank Engine, really. Um, Is it? Maybe, uh, yeah. For the whole I think family, like it. Something, something nice, the whole family. Something with a very obscure director who, you know, just didn't really do any sort of... Never went anywhere. Season. Never went Never anywhere. And ultimately, I think, I think you might like it. I'm just not really sure. Uh, it doesn't what? quite sound like your thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can tell you, I have seen the first two episodes of the, the TV adaptation of Snowpiercer, and I actually really like it. It sits halfway between uh, the film adaptation, uh, Bong Joon-ho's film adaptation, and uh, the original uh, La Transpersonage, I think is the name mm-hmm. of the, the, the original uh, the comic, which is incredibly grim and bleak, even by the film standards. The series is actually a little bit grimmer at times in terms of what it sort of says and does, but good fun. I'm glad you're liking it. I, well. love, I love the concept. I haven't seen the film yet, so I'm going to watch this series, and then I'm going to watch the film and see about the comparisons. I didn't want to kind of raise my expectations with the film before I watched the TV series and <laughs> let it play out. Anyway, it's been a good week. It's been a good week. The sun's shining. I'm feeling good. I'm going to wind you up right now, Van, and just Mm. wind you up like a a tight little yo-yo and then let you go because there's a couple of films that are out on digital from Monday the 1st of June, which I know you are just itching, maybe, yeah, itching like a cat's paw to start talking about. (laughs) (laughs) This is the weirdest thing. Okay, so you remember, obviously, when lockdown first came into effect, Universal, one of the very first studios who tackled the changing release strategy head on. They released Trolls World Tour, which has angered US theatre owners. But they started putting out a lot of their uh, their more recent films to digital platforms, films like The Hunt, The Invisible Man, Emma, things like that. Uh, mostly all really good movies. Um, they did, however, seemingly decide to save their two biggest turkeys, their two clunkiest stinkers for last. Well, I say last in, in the you know metaphorical sense. Uh, we are getting the digital releases of both Doolittle and Cats this week. Let me start with Doolittle, and we'll 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 take a run up to this, shall we? We'll start with okay. Doolittle, um, latest uh, vehicle for uh, Robert Downey Jr., who has entered the post Iron Man phase of his career. It's going to be very interesting to see what he does from here on in. And this has been the much delayed attempt to parlay the old uh, Doctor Doolittle novels into uh, an action. An action-friendly family franchise along the lines of something like Pirates of the Caribbean. It shows because the film feels very much like the kind of thing you would hire Johnny Depp for in about 2009, 2010, you know, about the time he was ruining Alice in Wonderland, things like that. Um, Robert Downey Jr. as the traumatised Doctor Doolittle, who must go on an adventure with a new sidekick he has met two minutes prior, and another new sidekick he met ten seconds after that, on an adventure to find a rare flower that can cure Queen Victoria. Said flower, of course, being the exact quest item his late wife, an adventurer, was on as well. He must, of course, take his band of, of talking animals with him. I'll tell you what, I'll give you a little, little sample of the sort of tone of this, because interestingly, there are no clips for Doolittle still. So the only clip you can get, really, is a sampling of the trailer. We have no choice but to embark on this perilous journey. 
Everyone pack your bags! <laughs> you can talk to animals. Which doesn't really sell it, if we're honest. So, um, you know what? I've, I don't think I've ever heard you go so John Oliver on a film before. But this is exactly <laughs> what you're doing right now. Even in the lead up to the clip, your anger is—I mean, you deserve canned canned applause and laughter here. This is <laughs> this is you and your element. <laughs> right. I'm just. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to quote Kermit when I say this. It's not that I'm angry. I'm disappointed. That's what it oh, is. Oh, even worse. Um, Oh, and, and, I, and I literally got to sit in a room with like Robert Downey Jr. and Emma Thompson and Tom Holland before this started, and it still somehow sucked. Um, it's a mess of a film. Uh, you can go into the there's, there's a lot of stuff written about the production history of it. It was a disaster. The film itself is not a whole heap better. I think I scored it. Uh, it wasn't the worst film to do with talking animals that I saw within sort of six weeks. I would say, um, if you've got really young kids, maybe? yeah, I think it's too much too too much too soon. If you're saying there's a six week gap between two very bad animal based movies, <laughs> I will say my my 18 month old nephew has been shown this film and he adores it. He thinks it's great. He is, however. 18 months old and cannot speak yet. So I'm pretty sure if he could, he would beg and plead us to turn it over, but he seems to be enjoying it. This and the live-action Lion King, he seems to really enjoy. Oh, well, that's good. Okay, so available on Monday the 1st is Doolittle. I mean, if you are just intrigued to see what a car crash movie looks like, I think Van has given you a nice little lead-in to it. Now, speaking of car crashes, let's talk about a cat crash. We're talking about (laughs) cats, which is the second movie that I think Van saw in six weeks. And I think it did something to his mental health. Is that right? I I think it really did. I mean, it's worth noting that this movie screening did turn into the the collective film critics of London Christmas Party 2019 (laughs) because we got to see Star Wars straight afterwards. I'm so sorry. It's such a shame that you weren't there. You would have loved it. I had a great night. Everyone was drinking. Principle. Out of principle, principle, I did not go. Yes, there, unfortunately. There, there. So now, there. on principle, I will say this: on principle, you should not watch cats. Okay, uh, that is <laughs> that is on the principles of the fundamental support of narrative cinema as a concept. Cats is a movie that calls to mind that time in 1997 when Richard Ashcroft of The Verve famously sang like a cat in a bag waiting to drown. That is exactly how I felt during the entirety of Cats, Tom Hooper's adaptation of the iconic uh, stage show, which I'm told, if you've seen it, the film is wonderful. The only problem with that is that's not how adaptations work. Have a little listen. What's your name? Cat got your tongue. Here we go! Don't mess with the crazy cat lady. Now it is time to make the choice. Right, here's the thing. You won't like it because you've not seen the stage play. It's not much of an excuse for something. I've never seen anyone hung, drawn, quartered, tortured, violated in any way. I still really enjoy the Saw movies. Just saying. Cats. Oh, I thought you were going to say hung... 
I thought you were going to say hung, drawn and quartered like Judy Dench in this movie. And I was about to say, <laughs> oh, Judy. <laughs> no, only her artistic integrity. Cats is a disaster. I, you know, I, I, I couldn't possibly say more. Should we just move on to something a lot more fun? Okay, okay. I wouldn't want to ang you just before the weekend, especially no, seeing it's no. a nice sunny day. Let's move swiftly on, guys. I think you know the general consensus, which has been since Christmas around cats. It ain't good. But again, if you are intrigued to see what a catastrophe might look like, then definitely check it out. So the a third catastrophe. And... Yeah, I know. <laughs> you awful. see what I did there. <laughs> mm. uh, let's move swiftly on to something marginally better, if not edging on much better mike wallace is here you talked to me a little bit earlier about how this is a movie that is works in a similar vein to um a beautiful day in the neighborhood it's a good kind of idea if you know the person it will give you a nice sort of insight into their lives Actually, more than that, I think this is closer to the documentary about Fred Rogers in terms of that sort of cultural window of, of knowledge, etc. Right. The, the, won't you? Won't you be my neighbour? I think was the documentary. This is a chronicle of the the life and career of Mike Wallace, who, of course, is known in in sort of you know the, in the media as you know the face of sixty minutes in the US. Like we we know him to look at. I think, I, we just don't really know his work in the UK as such. Um, documentary okay. that chronicles his rise, which is, there's a lot in there I didn't know about, and uh, you know sort of the attitude towards him and the things he achieved afterwards. I'll give you a little uh, little sniff before I get to sort of the kicker on this one. There is a new billionaire in town. Trump's the name. Donald Trump is a major dealmaker, a swashbuckler. Donald, you're in your late 30s. You got 40 years to live, minimum. Well, I hope you're right about that. What are you going to do? Uh, there are a lot of things to do. You know, a fertile imagination and a good fertile mind, Mike, it's an amazing, it's really amazing what can be thought of. There are so many things to do. Politics? There's so many, no. Not politics. You've said that you could do a better job at negotiating an arms control agreement with the Soviets than some of these professionals who've been trying to do it for years. I didn't say me, Mike. I said somebody has to do it. If it were me, that'd be fine. I could do it. You... Somebody has to help this country. And if they don't, the country and the world are in big trouble. Because within a short period of time, as sure as we're sitting here, there's not going to be a country and there's not going to be a world. Of course, Mike Wallace, to sort of someone like you and I, would be known primarily for his involvement in the story uh, of The Insider, which we know from mm. the Michael Mann movie with Russell Crowe and, and, and yeah. Al Pacino. Uh, we do get to see that unfold here. It is an interesting story. I would argue that if you, didn't, if you don't know Mike Wallace, there is still a very interesting story about the relationship between journalism and sensationalism, the relationship between, uh, you know, investigative, investigative journalism and showbiz. That's something that comes up a lot. Um, if that's a subject that does intrigue you, do absolutely check this out. You'd be, it's hard to top in that regard. Um, having said that, though, if the media in general is something, if, if seeing the portrayal of news on, on film is something you enjoy, unmissable. If you don't have any interest in those things though, this is not going to warm you up, but it's a dog wolf documentary, so you know that you're already starting on a good level, because they're always at least pretty good when they're, adop- when they're on the dog yeah. wolf label, to be honest. I do love a good dog wolf, a dog wolf documentary. Okay, so there's your selection on digital, available from Monday. That is your big theatrical films, moving on down to the small screen. Coming up in just a sh- few short moments, we have your big movies on TV, so stay tuned. And 
and we're back and this time we are looking at everything that is available to you guys on Freeview and there is as ever a whopping selection to keep you very much entertained we're going to kick off with a marvellous start to the week <laughs> oh I'm full of them today I just I don't know what I've got full of beans uh, we are starting off our Saturday with Captain America Civil War on ITV 9.30pm I really enjoyed Captain America Civil War. I mean, in t- you are the Marvel man. Uh, what is your thoughts on this in comparison to the rest of the Avengers franchise? I really like uh, Civil War. Civil War, for all intents and purposes, as a film, does play like Avengers 2.5. Like, it does feel like the second half of a missing story from Avengers mm. Age of Ultron, which is a problematic uh, film in the canon anyway. I know some people will go a lot more lean on it than I do. I do think that Age of Ultron is one of the weakest Marvel films because it's just a mess. It's a mess in that way that Dark World is a mess. It's just a series of unconnected things that just seem to happen. The narrative doesn't make a lot of thematic sense. But then you get to Civil War, and a lot of that mess from Age of Ultron suddenly gets weaponized into a very coherent, very tight, very well-thought-out story. And I say that as someone who's a very, very big fan of the Civil War comics as well. Interesting. I, I do remember watching this screening with you. And there is... <laughs> and it, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, if, if this is it, but there's that moment where Cap holds on to a helipad and a helicopter, mm. and it's the muscle bicep moment <laughs> that everyone laughed at but I was just hooked and I was like, this is the best Marvel film I think I've ever seen. <laughs> Shallow or what? <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. So of course the story this time around, this is the third installment of the Captain America saga. This serves as a sequel to Age of Ultron, but also as a sequel to the prior film, uh, Winter Soldier. It picks up the storyline of Cap's old friend being a brainwashed assassin for hire, but he may have got his memory back, he may not. That friend is uh, then framed for his involvement in a series of terrorist attacks, including one on the sitting uh, ruling king of Wakanda, the mysterious African nation, which causes said king's son, the Prince T'Challa, to leap into action as the Black Panther. He seems cool. This might go somewhere. Maybe there's a franchise in it. Who knows? But Cap Who has knows? to protect his friend from his other other friends. So, of course, Iron Man comes out of the woodwork supporting a government initiative to mandate and control the Avengers. And this leads to an ideological conflict that may, in fact, have someone else working behind the scenes. Tony. If someone dies on your watch, you don't give up. Who said we're giving up? We are for not taking responsibility for our actions. This document just shifts the blame. Sorry, Steve, that... That is dangerously arrogant. This is the United Nations we're talking about. It's not the World Security Council. It's not S.H.I.E.L.D. It's not Hydra. No, but it's run by people with agendas, and agendas change. That's good. That's why I'm here. When I realized what my weapons were capable of in the wrong hands, I shut it down, stopped manufacturing. You chose to do that. If we sign this, we surrender our right to choose. But if this panel sends us somewhere we don't think we should go? What if there's somewhere we need to go and they don't let us? We may not be perfect, but the safest hands are still our own. If we don't do this now, it's going to be done to us later. I'm a huge fan of, of Civil War. The moment in which Paul Rudd turns into Giant Man for the first time, I legit cheered in that screening. I think we were in Dolby, yeah. so it was I was cheering my ass. I actually think... I, I, I struggle a little bit with all the sort of Avengers assemble kind of movies mm. because there's so much going on and you need to know so much about them. This one for me was the one that was the easiest to follow. 
and the easiest to kind of get your head around and understand the characters. And so for that reason, it's a big one that I could happily watch again. So that's ITV, that's 9.30pm on Saturday. If you're wanting to kick your weekend off with a big blockbuster, that is going to be the movie for you. Now, moving on to Sunday, we've got a Paul Verhoeven uh, movie that stars Kevin Bacon. It is Hollow Man on the Horror Channel, 10.30pm. I thought this was a rom-com. It's clearly a horror. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is the thing. I was I was really excited when I saw that this was on because I've been thinking about this movie a lot in recent months because of uh, Lee Whannell's uh, reimagining of The Invisible Man. And when that came mm. out, there was an obvious comparison point with Hollow Man, which is what if we took uh, the classic H.G. Wells story of The Invisible Man, of Sebastian Kane, he is in The Hollow Man. I forget the name of the uh, character in Griffin. Griffin Dunn in the... Griffin Dunn? Griffin. Griffin something. In The, uh, Griffin in the Invisible Man. Yeah, Griffin something. He's Professor something. Anyway, (laughs) Professor something from the University of something. Anyway, he specialises in the field of something. Anyway, uh, the idea of taking the Invisible Man and using that, uh, you know, power corrupts ideology for the purposes of deep psychosis and sadosexual activities kind of starts more with in the twenty in the sort of 21st century with uh, uh, Paul Verhoeven and then Lee Winnell obviously takes it into a lot more straight horror terrain. So this stars of course Kevin Bacon as yeah. d- Professor professor or Dr. Sebastian Kane who's trying a revolutionary performance uh, a revolutionary technique to uh, basically render the human body invisible by exciting the cells within using a serum that causes them to vibrate and allow light through them. He of course undergoes the procedure himself, goes insane and starts picking off his mates one by one when he realizes that there's a potential film franchise in this i'm kidding there's no franchise in this. <laughs> i was like what where are you going with this brain activity returning to normal quantum signatures are stable welcome back isabel <laughs> you doing Doc? well i think she's gonna be okay it's good fun isn't you know, it it's kevin bacon I'm yeah laugh. and and do you know what like the, the sci-fi element to it the the kind of mm. i suppose seductive element to it as well that's in this yeah. is there's there's like other paul verhoeven movies robocop basic instinct <laughs> starship troopers those things that you can't help but see those kind of sort of links in there somewhere in his work well, that's it, isn't it? It's Verhoeven's uh, directions. Verhoeven's films have always been slightly boundary pushing. They've always pushed the lines of good taste. You look back to the eighties and you yeah. look at things like his his take on RoboCop and Total Recall and things like that, and they are very much a sort of. Do you know what? Let's throw an extra nipple in there and some blood. No one will mind. Kids <laughs> will love it. And this is very much one of those films, but with really good CGI for the times. So like for the year two thousand, this is really good. Yeah. Uh, really good computer computer yeah. effects in there. And really good, good performances. Hmm. Yeah, Kevin Bacon, really good in this. I mean, all around a generally good movie. It's on quite late on Sunday night, so 10.30pm. It's on the Horror Channel, so make sure you guys tune in, check that one out. Now, starting your next week, we're going to go into a new realm, aren't we? We're taking you... We're going to go through the gates, is what we're going to do. We're going to go through the gates, yeah. On Film 4, 9 o'clock, it's Stargate. I'm going to get this right with James Spade and not David Spade. Not David Spade. What film, what film are we talking about that you thought was Stargate? I can't remember. This is about three or four weeks ago. You thought a movie was Stargate. Yeah, I can't. St- 
I can't remember, but I kind of was getting to it and I could see mm. the gate in my mind. And you've just shown me that you've got it as a tattoo. And um... <laughs> I should stress, I've not got the gate as the tattoo. I have the Stargate address for Earth tattooed on me. I'm very proud it's my first Oh, but isn't writing forbidden? So, um, well, yeah. Do you know what? On, on which note, we should explain that the plot of Stargate involves the US military recovering a two-story giant metal ring 70 years prior from the deserts of Giza in Egypt, near the pyramids, that uh, James Spader is brought in. He's a sort of outcast, revolutionary uh, Egyptologist who believes in the alien astronauts theory, which is an actual theory. He believes that human advancements in certain periods in civilization were caused by aliens arriving on Earth posing as gods. He gets to actually prove his theory when he manages to open said Stargate, which forms a portal to another end of the galaxy, in which he discovers that the Egyptian god Ra is in fact an alien, and thousands of years prior had enslaved ancient Egyptians, transported them to this planet to work as his miners, and in typical US military fashion, the Americans have shown up, and they're going to introduce democracy. Ra took him and possessed his body like some kind of a parasite looking for a host and inhabiting this human form he appointed himself ruler he used the stargate to bring thousands of people here to this planet as workers for the mines just like the one we saw this mineral is clearly the building block of all his technology with this he can sustain eternal life now Something happened, where is it, back on Earth, a rebellion or uprising, and the Stargate was buried there. Fearful of a rebellion here, Ra outlawed reading and writing. He didn't want the people to remember the truth. This goes a lot better than Iraq, just going to say that up front. And also, for a film in 1997, I know that when I watched... 94? I thought it was 97. 94? Wow. It doesn't date. Wow, amazing. It doesn't date. What I liked about this is that this is not my type of movie, but I remember watching it years and years ago and really being hooked on it. And I can still remember it now. And that's the thing. It doesn't it feels really interesting. It feels quite present. And the idea of like the Egyptian kind of side of things, the alien side of things, and James Spader, it all works. So it's a really good movie to kind of catch as well. And it's a movie with James Spader in, so just full stop, that means watch it. I will also point out, by the way, you, you said 97 by accident. Funnily enough, 97 is the year that the long-running TV spin-off of this began. So, uh, that oh, that oh, might be I what it is. Think, I think it went on for 14 or 15 years in total, that TV universe. It will come back one day. I can't wait. Uh, Kurt Russell's the bomb in this. Spader, of course, is the ruling king. Uh, and, of course, we can check that out uh, on uh, Film 4 on Monday night at 9pm. And we are back on your small screen for even more movies on TV. And we're kicking off from Tuesday through till Friday. We've got a Tom Cruise 2017 movie coming up now on Film 4 at 9 o'clock. It is American Made. Now, American Made or just... Tom Cruise made, as per usual. <laughs> American made, Chinese funded, possibly. Who knows in the state? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows, indeed. <laughs> so, what's this one but all about? This, this was uh, his one of his numerous collaborations now with uh, Doug Lyman. Uh, you know the guy who uh, directed uh, Live, Die, Repeat, or Edge of Tomorrow, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Who's uh, Yeah, he's got this sort of pool of filmmakers he likes to work with. Uh, Doug Lyman is one of them. And of course, this fits Doug Lyman's sort of swing and Americana kind of vibe that he likes to go for sometimes. It's the story of, based on a true story, 
of a, a pilot in the 70s who wound up working for the CIA as a sort of embedded embedded cartel drug runner. Uh, Donald Gleason shows up as the as said, uh, as said uh, CIA uh, liaison. And of course, his involvement with the CIA, which he thinks gets him out of certain scrapes, doesn't quite have the clout that he thinks it does. So it's sort of a Goodfellas-like tale of this man unraveling as he becomes more and more immersed in the criminal underworld into which he has no idea how to handle himself. CIA owns this? No. No. Uh, independent aviation consultants. I-A-C. Yeah. You run the company, but after hours, you work for us. Takes pictures? The work is covert. Covert. So uh, anyone finds out about it, uh, family, friends, even uh, Lucy. It's Lucy, right? Yeah, that's right. That'd be a problem. Oh, this is legal? If you're doing it for the good guys? Yeah. <laughs> Just don't get caught. I think when we think of a Tom Cruise movie, there's a certain mm. type of movie that you're expecting. I mean, more recently, everyone obviously associates him with Mission Impossible. You know, I recently watched Rain Man again for the, like the millionth time the other day. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a few good men for me every time I love him in that. I want yeah. that shrimp. But I think like his heyday of those kind of movies that could have like really seen him pick up an award, he hasn't done of late. And 2017, are we seeing American made him revisit that kind of old school Tom Cruise or is he still doing the guns blazing action man that he is? I mean, I can't offhandedly recall him running in this film, if that helps. So I think this technically counts as a drama for Tom Cruise. But it has got comedic elements. It's got a sort of swinging sensibility, say, to it uh, that Doug Lyman brings along. Donald Gleason's clearly in on the sort of gag and the tone of it. And Cruise is perfectly good. I mean, Cruise is never bad in anything, ever. No, he's not. I don't really not. think we can ever say he is. No, he's very good in it. The film's not amazing, but it's pretty decent. It's worth a watch for something a lot like Blow. I would say it's Tom Cruise's take on something like Blow. Do you know what, though? I've, I was really excited about watching Blow when that came out, and it dragged for me quite a lot. Really? Uh, yeah, which was a shame. So I'd like to think that this, you know, essentially uh, kind of gives you that energy at the same time. You said that it's got humour in it. It sounds really, really good fun. So, look, I'm, I'm down. I haven't watched it. I'll catch it. It's on Film 4, 9 o'clock on Tuesday. I reckon you guys should make up your mind and check it out too. Let's move straight on to The Stafe on uh, Wednesday. The Stafe. Uh, film 4. We're sticking with Film 4 again. And a 9 o'clocker as well. So Tuesday and Wednesday, 9pm, you want to be sticking with Film 4. This time we're going on to The Bank Job. I'm going to point out as well, like, Tuesday through Friday this week, all of our movies are on Film 4. So if anyone at Film 4 wants to, like, you know, chuck us any dough for product placement or anything like that, hit us up in the email. But The Bang Job, so which is a 2007 period pieced heist romp starring Jason Statham and Saffron Burroughs, Based on a true story, uh, the story was that a group of criminals discovered that due to underground rail conditions, the uh, alarm sensors in a uh, rather well-to-do uh, central London bank had to be deactivated for maintenance, thus creating a window during which an elaborate heist could be undertaken. However, as these things typically see, um, it quickly became a game of, well, who's robbing who? So we're going to sit here all night making small talk. I know you, Terry, and I know your mates. You've always been looking for the big score, the one that makes sense of everything. I have it for you. What? A bank. 
a bank, as in Rob. <laughs> How would you know about a bank? I've been seeing this guy. Runs his own business, security systems. Next month, they're installing new alarms in a bank in Marylebone. Seems like the trains have been setting off the tremor alarms in the vault and they've had to turn them off. So for a week or so, they won't have any. And there's just something about the state in, like, the 70s which just kind of doesn't work, but does at the same time. Like, would you just like, imagine Jason Statham existing in the 70s? Well, I was going to ask uh, the similar question to the Tom Cruise question, right? So I'm not saying that Jason Statham has got as varied and uh, illustrious as a, a career as Tom Cruise, but are we looking, is vintage Stath here? Are we seeing a little bit, even though he's in the 70s, but in terms of his ability on screen are we seeing that old school state that we love or is he trying something new with this this is a lot more reliance on his his cockney charm his well i say cockney from chesterfield but you know his his his, his mockney charm that he has parlayed yeah. into you know such an interesting career so far for us sort of, you know juvenilely enjoyable career that he has um i think it's a good little say good little heist romp and you know you can't go wrong with a little high strong. You want a sort of no. You want a, an Italian job, an Ant Man every now and again. I want an Ocean's, not a sequel, but an Ocean's Eleven or an Ocean's Eight. Anytime, I like a good a good high thriller. Well, yeah, I agree. Undertones of this. A nice little bit of escape, escapism, a good little bit of a throwaway movie. The state is always good for something like that. So that is your midweek sorted there. The bank job, film four, nine o'clock. Now uh, Thursday, we're moving on to a film which actually. Van just reminded me of this. I actually really loved it when I watched it. Um, and I forgot, but I'd forgotten that I'd ever seen this. So um, don't take that as, as, as any reason to not see it. That's just my terrible memory and the amount of films that we have to see on any one occasion. But this is mm. Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. Uh, it's on film for 11, 10 p.m. on Thursday. This is essentially the story of how Wonder Woman, the character, was born. Um, and it's uh, not... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it was done in a much more down-to-earth way than what we can possibly imagine from the the DC universe. So um, this uh, is a really lovely story uh, set in the 1950s, I think. Is it's that in the right? 40s, 50s thereabouts. It's 40s, after, 50s. obviously she was after she was after Superman anyway, which was the, the Superman and Batman above yeah. the 30s, I believe. So sometime. And it's that. it's taking you back to that lovely kind of. So I suppose origin story of of the real sort of comic book side of things and how that concept came about and the women that influenced uh, is it is a psychologist or psychiatrist? Um, so Professor William Marston was a revolutionary psychologist, but the actual basis yeah. of Wonder Woman, as we discover through this story, um, is that she is based primarily on the two women in his life, and that becomes the story of this polyamorous relationship that emerges between Marston, his wife, and his assistant, who becomes... All, basically, they become a triple, as it were. So a couple, they become a triple, and of course, this leads to prejudices and issues of the day. A comic book, Bill? Well, it's perfect. I'm going to inject my ideas right into the thumping heart of America. I mean, I'll get a real artist to draw it properly. She's an Amazon princess that lives on an island of all women. Paradise Island. And a man crash lands on the island. Uh, yeah, Steve, Trevor the spy. And she wears a burlesque outfit. Well, it's athletic. And silver bracelets. They deflect bullets. And all her friends and helpers are sorority girls who have spanking parties and everybody fights Nazis and rides in an invisible plane. Yes. 
Luke Evans as Marston there, and you know, I, I think it's a great cast. Rebecca Hall, uh, very good in it as well, yes. I think. Um, and yeah. there's just, I think, there's a lot of period detail. I'm surprised it wasn't a bigger hit than it was, actually. I didn't expect it to be a huge thing, but I'm surprised it wasn't slightly more beloved than it was. Yeah, I, it's unfortunate, actually, because it is a really lovely story, so definitely worth uh, visiting this week if you can. Uh, finishing up your week, I mean, this is a biggie. Uh, this is one of my favourite characters from the sadly now-ended Daredevil uh, Netflix series. I got so into that, which again, it's not really my thing, but I loved the Punisher character in there. And this is Punisher Warzone on film four, um, again, <laughs> at 10.45 p.m. Um, so this movie, Punisher, like there's lo- lots of Punisher films, right? There's three Punisher films. Um, there was the Dolph Lundgren one in the late 80s. There is Thomas Jane in 2004. And this, it came out in 2008, was intended as the sequel to the Thomas Jane one. At one point, they had cast Michael Keaton uh, as the potential villain for this, who is still in the film, but he's now played by Dominic West, the character of Jigsaw. Um, in the uh, role of the Punisher, instead of Thomas Jane returning, because they messed him around a lot, he wound up quitting, uh, you have Ray Stevenson, who I think most people at the time knew for the series Rome. And uh, the story here is that... Uh, Punisher accidentally kills an FBI informant during one of his many raids, his war on crime, and finds himself in the unlikely role of having to play protector for said FBI agent's widow and child, whilst at the same time taking on this ruthless villain played by Dominic West, Jigsaw, and his psychotic brother, Looney Bin Jim. Please, please, don't kill me. Rosati, where is he? Yamaha Jigsaw. I was just with him. He was supposed to give me some dough for a job. But turns out, he don't have any anymore. He forgot he gave a whole bunch to that FBI rat. So he went to go see Donatelli's to get it back. Something for something. Mr. Punisher, sir. For the purposes of amusement, I'm going to point out that that clip comes about three seconds after the Punisher takes out a parkour runner in midair with a rocket launcher, which is one of my favourite things in a movie ever. This movie is trash, garbage, and terrible, but you know what? I love it. It's violent, it's fun, it's psychotic, it's lit up entirely like a Brighton arcade. It's just a lot of fun, and Wayne Knight's in it as microchip. I mean, what's not to love? Oh, That's a great way. Oh, well, that is a great way to end your week. What a film there. I mean, who doesn't like to finish their Fridays on a piece of trash? Uh, Especially when there's rocket launchers and parkour people. They should be launched at parkour people on a more regular basis. Um, (laughs) Anyway, that is your Movies on TV. That is your big selection from Saturday all the way through to the following Friday. We have got you sorted with uh, with all of your big hits uh, to catch and our big recommendations. Coming up very, very shortly, we got your DVDs and Blu-rays plus a little bit of streaming too. And we're back, but don't you get up from that couch because you still can't go outside. So let's talk about DVDs that are out for the week. DVDs, Blu-rays, and well, I mean, we do digital, but you can usually buy your DVD releases on digital. In fact, we've got one this week that we know we can only buy on digital as well. Uh, let's start then. Should we talk about The Grudge? That came out uh, beginning of this year, was it? Is this a this is a remake of the Grudge because this is like this is the new version. I can't figure out what it is. I think it takes place in the continuity from the Sam Raimi produced American language remake that I think 
starred Sarah Michelle Gellar, I think, maybe. I can't. I mean, to be honest with you, it's it's you know it's, it's a re, you know the latest reboot of the the, the story of the Japanese curse, uh, the Jap the Japanese curse that you know starts befalling people one by one. Um, this one stars John Cho, takes a bit more of a procedural look at things. Uh, Demian Bashir's in it. I, I'll give you a sense of the, the the tone of what they're going for here. Why did it take so long to find her? Well, this here's a service room. They only just started using it for the season. Anyone come looking for her? That's just it. Uh, the feds, they're already looking for her. Turns out she's one of those assisted suicide broads. Find anything on her? Usual stuff. I got an address, though. Directions in the glove box. 44 Rayburn Drive. Same place as the Lander's case. Looks like we got another one. So it really wants to be True Detective with some scares, and the problem is that True Detective is inherently interesting and scary. Um, well, it's not really scary, but it is scary this, this anyway. Did this get... I don't think there was a big screening for this, was there? I think this was kind there of past was, high. There was, a, there was a press show for this. There was a single press show for this, which we got to see. And, uh, I mean, that's... I'd I, I say, say that. I mean, hats off. I, I adore Sony. Sony are a company who just will have a press show. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there are certain certain studios that will say, no, 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 it's going to get terrible reviews, and you are not seeing that. I kind of love Sony, but you know, no, 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 your job is to see these things. Tell us what you think. You will damn well, damn well sit there and watch it and tell us what you think, sir. Oh, you didn't like it? Okay. Um, the Grudge is not a great movie, but it's going to have its fans. It is because the Grudge series is huge, and also John Cho brings in a certain innate fan base. Uh, I, uh, I I could see it being something that might have its supporters within that niche market, but I don't think this is going to win over the outside horror crowd. Um, let's talk then about Parasite, which is out this week as well. I mean, obviously, oh. and I had a field day back in February with Parasite when it swept the Oscars. This is this is the worthy winner. This is the movie that that we were hoping took all the coveted prizes, and it absolutely did. It was one time that Hollywood got it right, and this is the Bong Joon Ho, amazing, amazing movie. I have to say, I paid to go and watch this just mm. before the Oscars, and I went to the cinema. I missed the screening, and there were probably eight people in the entire cinema that I was in. Once that Oscar awards uh, came through, you can only oh, imagine blooded. it was yeah. cinemas full. Yeah, it, and so I mean, worth it. It's such a brilliant film. It is a film that I will say. On the one hand, you can't say too much about the plot of it because it's at once quite complicated, mm. at once quite simplistic. It's a wonderful, beautiful, visually striking, psychologically arresting film masterpiece from Bong Joon Ho. I will say there is something quite fitting about living in a world in which Hollywood gives best picture to Parasite and then less than a month later we all literally live in a world in which we're forced underground not allowed to come out and the rich people just do whatever the hell they want so Parasite did kind of weirdly wind up predicting the future in less than a month so there's there's that I mean and it's on DVD finally it's gone I'm really hoping that that if that's the case, that Bong Joon Ho just—if Snowpiercer is anything to go by—that's not a massive <laughs> prediction for the future. That would just take things to extremes. But yeah, as you say, it's out on uh, Amazon Prime uh, from June the first. Something that you can Amazon, catch. Or am I oh, wrong? It's on, it's on, just say it again. I'll, I'll add it. It's on. Uh, and it's out on DVD and Blu-ray um, as of as of. <laughs> 
Okay, it's out on DVD and Blu-ray as of Monday. It is the one thing you need to get your hands on and definitely, definitely watch. There is a reason why it picked up Best Picture. Now, onward and upwards um, is uh, the next thing that I want to talk to you about. This is um, a movie we've talked about a few times, actually, because it recently came onto Video On Demand. You can now get it on DVD as well. It's that Pixar movie, which is all about... um, Fairy tales, isn't it? Fairy tales are real. Yeah, fairy tales. Uh, Wondering if there's a little... Yeah, it's about two elves who lose their dad at a very young age, and essentially they are... Uh, going on a quest to find out if there's any magic in the world uh, left so that they can bring him back for one day just to see him. It's very, very sweet. All right, we're going to get Warrior Z90 spin. Let me hear you say, I'm a mighty warrior. I'm a mighty warrior. Morning, Mom. Lazy, down, bad dragon. Back to your lair. Happy birthday, Mr. Adult Man. Oh, Mom. Hey, buddy, don't wipe off my kisses. What? You're wearing your dad's sweatshirt. Oh, you know, finally fits. Oh, my little chubby cheeks is all grown up. Okay, okay, Mom, I gotta (laughs) eat something before school. So, for me, this, I think we did, uh, we're not going to spend too much time on this because we did review it only a few weeks ago, Um, but basically... Mm. It's, it's a good Pixar movie. It's not up there as an iconic Pixar movie, but that's okay. It's still very much enjoyable and a good one if you've got the family in tow and you need to just keep the little ones occupied. It's got enough for a little bit of everyone in it. I cried buckets in the third act of this. I'm not going to last 10 minutes of oh, this. Yeah. I was howling like a badger. Our entire yeah. row in that screen. Howling, 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 like, howling like a badger, did you just say? <laughs> Howling like banshees. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. I was just checking. Um, that's fine. Now, it is a good little movie. It's worth a watch. And it's definitely there if you want to kind of get something just to keep the kids entertained again and again out on DVD and Blu ray. Now, I've just looked at the list and I'm not sure why this has been added in here again. I think. I told you at the beginning of the show that we're winding Van up like a yo-yo and we're just going to let him go. I'm not going to let him go for too long on this, but I am going to let you know that Cats is available on DVD and Blu-ray. Van, don't say too much. Are you really going to scare me if you do? Because I think you're going to get really irate. <laughs> cats sucks. Anyone who tells you they like Cats is an idiot. Anyone who can in any way subscribe any kind of meritorious value to the existence of Cats as a feature film should not only be recommending, should not only not be recommending you films, they should be locked in a basement and kept alive solely through medication. This is an abysmal effort that should never, ever have been put on a cinema screen and everybody involved in the production, green lighting and development of Cats as a cinematic concept should hang their head in shame or get in the sea. Anyway, on to streaming. So Sherlock Holmes yeah. and Sherlock Holmes A Game of Shadows are both being added to uh, Amazon Prime from Saturday, May the 30th. I'm not particularly a big fan of the first one, but I do like the second in which Stephen Fry joins the cast as Mycroft Holmes. And uh, what do you call it? Richard Harris's son, Jared Harris, turns up as Moriarty. Has all my instruction been for naught? You still read the official statement and believe it. It's a game, dear man, a shadowy game. We're playing cat and mouse, the professor and I. Cloak and dagger. I thought it was spider and fly. I'm not a fly, I'm a cat. Not a mouse, but a dagger. You're drinking embalming fluid. <sighs> yes. Care for a drop? You do seem... Excited. Manic. I am. Verging on... Ecstatic. Psychotic. I should have brought you a sedative. 
Were you a fan, Dax? Do you know what? I did enjoy this. I, uh, this is like, this is Guy Ritchie's uh, doing okay again, you know? It's just him doing, paying the bills, isn't it? It's like his, his sort of MTV work. This is how he pays the mortgage on the summer home. Fair play to him. Yeah, fair play. And like Robert Downey Jr., he's good as Sherlock Holmes in this. It's fine, it, yeah. Do you know what? I, for, for you guys listening at home, Van and I can see each other through the powers of video chat. And all I'm, <laughs> whilst we're recording this, all I'm seeing is a lot of shoulder shrugging. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. It's fine. I think that kind of gives you the idea. I, I enjoy that. It's perfectly watchable. There's fun. There's action. There's those key Guy Ritchie elements that we really enjoy throughout that's just put in there. It's not him doing anything new. It's not Robert D- Downey Jr. doing any new. Who's, who's playing um, Watson in this? Jude Law is Watson in this. And we Jude are Law. currently getting a third one of these that's going to be directed by Dexter Fletcher because Dexter Fletcher obviously is part of the, the guy Richie yeah. knife from starting out with, with Lock, Stark and Snatch and things like that. Well, do you know what? He might Dexter Fletcher is going from strength to strength at the moment and he might put a completely new spin on this that just revives it as a franchise. But I like the pairing of the two of them. I think they work really, really well. It is a lot of throwaway fun, a bit like the bank job that we talked about earlier. Very much. I will say, however, that although I have the utmost faith in Dexter Fletcher, I mean, he managed to save Bohemian Rhapsody. He managed to make Rocket Man into an actually pretty bloody good film. Um, he is, however, behind the upcoming adaptation of The Saint, in which they have cast Chris Pine as a suave British, you know, con man and thief, which might be the worst casting I've ever heard. But other than that, I'm excited. Um, Sherlock three. What could possibly go? Should it be SH three R Lock? I hope they write it. Maybe. Shithri Lock Holmes. Shithri Lock Holmes. I like the sound of it. Shithri Lock Holmes. Yeah, it's a three-hour film. But you can watch. This well, is uh, part of Amazon Prime's amassing of film collections lately. They added the Ocean's trilogy uh, recently to the docket. They added uh, the entire Lord of the Rings collection, and they have now added the Sherlock Holmes duology as well. So you're getting a, a, a decent little archive of recent film collections emerging on uh, Amazon Prime. So something to enjoy on streaming for this week. In any something to enjoy indeed, and that's a nice way to kind of finish the show for today because we've got a really average selection on digital if a fan's review is anything to go by so if you're just looking to see what's going on from a curiosity perspective then you're going to want to check out what's going on on digital at the moment but the movies on TV really strong this week we've got some good pickings there with Captain America Civil War American Maid is a good Tom Cruise movie if you haven't caught that before it's definitely one to watch and if you're a big comic book fan and you're wanting to learn the origin and history behind the world of Wonder Woman then that is out on Thursday as well and then moving on to your DVDs and your Blu-rays and your streaming. Guy Ritchie fans, you've got Sherlock Holmes there for your viewing pleasure, but the big one that you should definitely get your hands on is that award-winning Parasite. So, another great week for movies in lockdown. Not a bad selection. So that sounds like uh, that sounds like it really for us for another week. Yeah, so we'll see you again to do it all over again on lockdown for one more week on week. And this is Off Screen and I have been Bex Perfect. And I've been Van Connor and this is your reminder that anyone who tells you anything good about cats should be lobotomized. <laughs> <laughs>